0: You are listening to audio from the Rail City campus of CA Church. We are a church fervently committed to bringing the good news to the city of Port Moody. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. All right. Well, good morning, everyone. Hey, this morning, you are going to hear the best sermon you've ever heard. The best, better than any I've preached before, better than any you'll ever hear in the future. Okay, and I know you, you don't believe me, right? It's the greatest sermon of all time. Okay, I. I <laughs> there's been some good ones. They yeah, there's been some good ones, but I promise you, this one is the absolute best. Okay, better than last Sunday, and and I promise, there's there's no sermon you'll hear around the world better than this one. Okay. So you're in the right place this Sunday. Uh, <laughs> I kid. Uh, today I'm going to be reading for us the Sermon on the Mount. And it's Jesus' sermon. Some have coined it the greatest and best sermon of all time. Uh, and, uh, and it's, it's probably the, the first recorded sermon of Jesus and one of the best-known sermons of Jesus. And uh, in many minds, the most influential, radical, transformative message ever dictated by a human being. His words in this message have shaped ethics, culture, religions, and daily living for people for 2,000 years. And it does hold a special place in my heart. During my time in Israel, I actually got to hear it read in its entirety, beginning to and out loud in the region, okay? We can't say it's definitively the exact place where this took place, where Jesus first read the Sermon on the Mount. It was a powerful moment right there on the Sea of Galilee. I got to hear it read to me. And, uh, and I, I will say on that day, as I was sitting on that hillside and I was overlooking this lake, truly it felt like the presence and person of Jesus visited me there in a really profound way that still sits with me to this day. And so, I'm going to read it for us. I'm not going to ask us to stand because it's going to take quite a few minutes to read through it. But I thought, what better way to start a new series, what better way for us to introduce uh, this Sermon on the Mount than for us to hear it as the first hearers would have heard it, in one sitting, out loud. Uh, Now, I'm not Jesus, (laughs) and uh, I'm not speaking in Hebrew or Aramaic, but I do believe that this message today, as we hear it read to us, I'm hoping that we would have a similar experience, that we would encounter Jesus, that we would hear from him as we read the Sermon on the Mount. So, I'm gonna read for us. I've got backup here, it's gonna be good. Uh, And uh, this is the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon you'll ever hear, all right? One day, as he saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up to the mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him, and he began to teach them. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace for they will be called the children of God. And God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you, my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad. For a great reward awaits you in heaven and remember, The ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. You are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it's lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? No, it'll be thrown out and trampled under the foot. You are the light of the world. Like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed in a place of honor where it gives light to everyone in the house. And in the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Don't misunderstand why I've come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses and the writings of the prophet, no. I came to accomplish their purpose I tell you the truth until heaven and earth disappear not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved so if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same you'll be called least in the kingdom of heaven but anyone who obeys God's law and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven but I warn you Unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness, the teachers of the religious law, and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You've heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say if you are even angry with someone, you're subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you're in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you're in danger of the fires of hell. So if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple, and suddenly you remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar and go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. When you're on the way to the court, with your adversary. Settle your differences quickly. Otherwise, your accuser may hand you over to the judge who will hand you over to an officer and you'll be thrown into prison. And if that happens, you'll surely you won't be free again until you've paid the last penny. You've heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. But I say to you, anyone who looks at someone with lust has already committed adultery in their heart. So if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out, throw it away. It's better that you lose one part of your body than your whole body be thrown into the fire. And if your hand, even your stronger hand, causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. It is better you lose one part of your body than the whole thing be thrown away. You've heard the law that says a man can divorce his wife by merely just giving her a written notice of divorce. But I say the man who divorced his wife, unless she has been unfaithful, causes her to commit adultery. Anyone who marries this person has also committed adultery. You've also heard that our ancestors were told, you must not break vows. You must carry out your vows that you make to the Lord. But I say, don't make any vows. Don't say, by heaven, because heaven is God's throne. And don't say, by earth, because the earth is his footstool. And don't say, by Jerusalem, for Jerusalem is the city of the great king. Don't even say, by my head, for you can't turn one hair black or white. Just say a simple, yes, I will. No, I won't. Anything beyond this is from the evil one. You've heard the law that says the punishment must match the injury. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, give them the other also. If your suit in court and your shirt is taken from you, give them your coat also. If a soldier demands that you must carry his gear a mile, carry it too. Give to those who ask and don't turn away from those who want to borrow from you. You've heard the law that says, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you'll be acting as a true child of your Father in heaven, for He gives sunlight to both the evil and the good, He sends rain to the just. And the unjust alike if you love only those who love you what reward is there for that even corrupt tax collectors do that if you're kind only to your friends how are you different from anybody else even pagans do that but you are to be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect watch out don't Do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others for you'll lose the reward from your father in heaven. When you give to someone in need, don't do as the hypocrites do, blowing their trumpets in the synagogue, in the streets, calling attention to their acts of charity. I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right is doing. Give your gift in private. And your Father, who sees everything, will reward you. And when you pray, don't pray like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself shut the door behind you and pray to your Father in private. Then your Father who sees everything will reward you. When you pray, don't babble on and on like the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered by merely repeating words again again and again. Don't be like them. For your Father knows exactly what you need before you even ask Him. So when you pray, pray like this. Our Father in heaven... May your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food that we need. Forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your father will not forgive you of your sins. And When you fast, don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do. They try to look miserable and disheveled and <laughs> so that people are, will admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth, that's what, the only reward they'll ever get. But when you fast, comb your hair, wash your face, then no one will notice that you are fasting except for your father, who knows what you do in private. And your father who sees everything, he will reward you. And listen, don't don't store up treasures here on earth where moths will come and eat them and rust will destroy them, where thieves break in and can steal store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy where thieves cannot break in and steal wherever your treasure is there the desires of your heart will also be your eye is a lamp that provides light to your whole body And when your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how dark is it? No one can serve two masters. For obviously you'll hate one and you'll love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and also be enslaved to money. That is why I tell you, don't worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food or drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food? Your body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They don't plant. They don't harvest. They don't store in barns. For your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to Him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? No. And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field. Look how they grow. They don't work. They don't make clothing. Yet Solomon, in all of his glory, was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for the flowers that are here today and gone tomorrow. He will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things saying, what what am I going to eat? What am I going to drink? What am I going to wear? These things dominate the thoughts of those who do not believe. But your heavenly father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. Live righteously. And all of these things will be added to you. So don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow, it's going to bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Don't judge others. You'll be judged. For you'll be treated as you treat others. The standard you use by judging is the standard by which you will be judged. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, hey, let me help you get that speck out of your eye over there? When you can't see past the log in your own eye. Hypocrites! First, get rid of the log in your own eye, and then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Don't waste what is holy on people who are unholy. Don't throw your pearls to swine. They'll trample the pearls, and then they'll turn and attack you. Keep on asking, my friends, and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And everyone who seeks, finds. And everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. You parents... If your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for a fish, do you pull out a snake? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more does your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask him? Do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that was taught in the law and prophets. You can enter into God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad, and the gate is wide for many who choose that way. But the gateway to life, it's very narrow. And the road, it's difficult, and even fewer find it. Beware of false prophets. They come disguised as harmless sheep, but really they're vicious. You can identify them by their fruit, that is by the way that they act. Can you pick grapes from a thorn bush (laughs) or figs from thistles? A good tree produces good fruit and a bad tree produces bad fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and it's thrown into the fire. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, you can also identify people by their actions. Not every disciple who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. And on judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We perform many miracles. I'll reply, I didn't know you. Get away with from me, those of you who break God's law anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise like a person who built his house on the rock though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house it will not collapse because it is built on bedrock anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish they're like the person who built their house on the sand and the rains come and the floods come and the winds beat against that house and it will collapse with a mighty crash and when jesus had finished saying these things the crowds were amazed at his teaching for he taught with real authority quite unlike the teachers of the religious law. This is the sermon of Jesus. Thanks, Wayne. What are you feeling right now? What's going through your mind? What emotions did that stir within you? See, in that day, in that time, The audience would have been incredibly diverse, much like our day. In Galilee, it was multicultural, it was multinational, it was under Roman rule. There would have been people from every walk and background, class, ethnicity, religion. Could you imagine? The responses would have been diverse. Some might have been confused, others amazed, maybe some felt anger or even apathy. There would have been people whose allegiance were to their political leaders. There would have been Roman guards and officials and foreigners. and There certainly would have been Pharisees and scribes who heard themselves called out. And their Jewish followers. And then there would have been a small minority of followers, disciples of the way of Jesus. And in a diverse crowd like that, their feelings would have been different. Here's what I anticipate. Some of you were listening, oh, this is such a beautiful part of the sermon and there was other parts that, oh, irked you. Cut to the heart. The consensus feeling that Matthew records is this. They were amazed. The crowds were amazed. But this word, it's difficult to translate. Some have suggested dumbfounded might be the better word to describe this word that Matthew is using, which does mean to be greatly amazed, but it also is similar to being bewildered, perplexed, and maybe even, when one translation said, disturbed mentally. And as I read this out loud to you just now, maybe you were feeling some of those feelings. On Friday night, I was reading this sermon out loud to prepare for our time together. I was in my living room and Emmy was, my daughter was just sitting there and I don't know, she's watching like Mickey Mouse Clubhouse or something like that. But she was listening. There was a couple of times she turned around, she looked at me and that kind of thing. And when I finished the sermon, you know what she exclaimed? Oh, come on. <laughs> this is what she said. I'm not exaggerating. Oh, come on. Which is kind of like a classic Emmy phrase. I don't know why she, she, she says that, but it's really funny, and maybe some of you felt, oh, come on. Some of the things that Jesus said, this is unattainable. How could anyone live this? How could anyone actually do this? It's such a high, high standard. There may have been sections where he actually felt disbelief, anger, frustration, Philip Yancey in his book, The Jesus I Never Knew, he writes about his friend, Virginia, who was a university professor, and she assigned this text to her students, and some of their responses nearly caused her to fall off her chairs, what the author says. One girl said, there's an old saying that you shouldn't believe everything you read, and this applies in this case. Another said, I do not like the essay, The Sermon on the Mount. It's hard to read, and it made me feel like I had to be perfect. No one's perfect. Another said, I think all this religious stuff is a hoax. Oh, come on. (laughs) As my daughter said. Others will respond, why should I listen to this ancient teaching? What does that have to do with the here and now? Aren't those just old religious ideas? Others will say, well, that's his opinion, but... It's not mine, but maybe some of you also felt amazement. Wow, profound, fascinating teaching. There's a lot of different responses. If you had a different response, that's okay. Here's what I think that Jesus was intending to do through this sermon. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount is giving us a map, a manifesto. Uh, He's laying out an archetype giving us a blueprint of what it means to be his followers. A a blueprint, a map that is very different than the culture that surrounded them. He gives them a new philosophy than what would have been shared by many. A new ethic and way of living. He takes a lot of their standards and he elevates them. A new mode of operation, a new way to live. A new way to be human. So throughout the series, we actually named it a new humanity. We believe that Jesus is giving us a, a picture of what it means to be the new humanity, not like the old new humanity, not like the culture that surrounds us, but actually a very countercultural picture, a new way of thinking, acting, living, and behaving a new standard of what it means to be human, a new humanity. John Stott put it this way, Jesus did not give us a academic treatise calculated merely to stimulate our minds this morning. No, I believe he meant his sermon on the mount to be obeyed, lived out. Indeed, if the church realistically accepted his standards and values described here and lived by them, it would be an alternative society, a new humanity that he always intended it to be. It would offer the world an authentic Christian counterculture. See, Jesus is giving, in a sense, at the beginning of his ministry, a campaign speech, casting vision for what kingdom people look like and act like. Jesus is pushing back against the religious constructs and teachings of his time. He is raising the bar higher than even they did. He says things like, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. That's a very, very high standard. All in an effort to do what? To lead you to Himself. To lead you to a place of absolute surrender. I don't think I can do this on my own. You'll need Him. To lead you to a place of confrontation. I disagree with you. Therefore, you need to actually work it out with Him. To lead you to a place of inspiration. Maybe as some of you heard that, you thought, wow. Uh, there, there's more that I could live for. There's more that I could, could achieve. I, there, there's, there's a greater moral than the one that I'm living. Maybe it inspired you. It leads us to a place where we either reject him and his message or we follow him. I talked about that, um, that day when I was in the Sea of Galilee and I heard this sermon read in full like you did this morning. Um, and in Israel, I'll be honest, as I went to site to site to site, I didn't like feel the shivers and the presence of God in every corner of that place. There was a lot of like, wow, that's really cool. It's really interesting. Oh, that's a beautiful view. Wow, that's a really cool old pillar. Oh, wow, you know, all that kind of stuff. There was a lot of those feelings, but that day when I was on the Sea of Galilee and I heard this sermon read and I was sitting there, I was listening in the region where these early disciples heard it. Here's what, I, I heard nearly audibly God say to me, and it did surprise me as a pastor. He said, Cam, follow me. Cam, I invite you to be my disciple. And when I heard, honestly heard that in my mind, there was like kind of a guttural reaction. I was like, I am a pastor. Of course, I'm one of your followers, Lord, right? And then I heard it again, Cam, follow me. Cam, I invite you to be one of my disciples. I realized something that day. Jesus was inviting me to follow him again. In the same way, he called those disciples and he was calling me that, there was actually more that he wanted to teach me. He was calling me to sit at his feet. He was calling me to listen. He was calling me to not just assume that I I get this and I understand all of this, but to listen to him, to learn from him, to talk with him, to walk with him, to follow him. And it was convicting to hear those words. Because they illuminated a pride within me. I had to humble myself. I am a follower of Jesus. I am, I'm a disciple of Jesus, just like everyone else. And this is what I think Jesus is calling you to. Through this sermon, he's inviting you once again, follow me, be my disciples. Walk the way that I walk. Talk the way that I talk. Teach the things that I teach. Live the way that I live. There is a higher standard. There is a new way to be human. It doesn't look like the culture around you. It doesn't look like the culture of your family of origin. It looks different. It's otherworldly. There is a new humanity, an alternative society, a counterculture. Follow me. I'll show you the way. And when you fail, inevitably, I think we, as we heard that sermon, all of us could think, think of ways that we failed. It's like, hey, follow me again. Walk with me, talk with me. I'll show you. Oh, you messed up. It's okay, let's do it again. Oh, you don't understand? Let me help you understand. This is what we believe about God. We believe that he is a personal God. We believe that Jesus is alive. That's what we celebrated last Sunday. We believe that he wants to disciple you and walk with you and know you personally. And as we said last Sunday, if you were just to turn to him and say, yes, I will follow. He will walk with you all the days of your life. This is what Jesus is doing through the Sermon on the Mount. He's inviting you to follow him to be covered in the dust of your rabbi, as Pastor Mark used to say. And that phrase, to be covered in the dust of your rabbi, meant that you just followed so closely behind him that as he was kicking up the dust, it would coat you, it would powder you, it would cover you. This is what Jesus is calling them and us to, to follow him, to allow us to disciple him, to transform the way that we think and live and act and be the new humanity, the new society that he intends us to be in this city, in the city that you live. That we'll journey with him over the next few months as we take section by section by section of this sermon and we begin to unpack what he meant by the words that he said so that we could look and act and be a lot like Jesus. I think this is what he's inviting us to. And this is all with the goal that we would become fully devoted followers of Jesus. That's our mission as a church. We exist, all people would become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. This is our hope. For those of you who believe, the invitation is follow me. For those of you who are Curious or seeking, the invitation is follow me. For those of you who are not sure, Jesus still is inviting you. He's saying, follow me. This is what I believe this sermon is doing. It's calling us to relationship. To walk step by step with our rabbi, Jesus. So I'm gonna pray for us and then we're gonna conclude uh, through taking communion and singing together. So let's pray now. Jesus, thank you for your message this morning. Thank you for your sermon. Profound, radical, maybe even offensive. Jesus, I pray today for my friends as they heard it. It would be a moment that they feel like they encountered you again, that they heard from you. And I pray that we as a community, including me, would hear your words, follow me, and we would follow in your footsteps. Help us to do this, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, at this point, we are going to come to the table. This is a moment in every service, every week, other than Easter Sunday. And Christmas, (laughs) that we, we come to the table and we take the bread and we take the juice in remembrance of the fact that Jesus died for our shortcomings. Jesus died in our place for our sins. Jesus came to offer us mercy, forgiveness, grace, and love for the ways that we haven't lived up to his standards. See, we have a God in Jesus who didn't just set high standards but he also lived them. We have a God in Jesus who didn't just call us to great things and then when we failed, he pointed at us and judged us, but he actually atones for us and offers us grace and mercy through the cross for the moments that we will fail and I will fail this week to live out this message. And that is why we come to the table. It's an opportunity every single Sunday to remember there is a God, he loves you. He offers you grace, mercy, and kindness today. Forgiveness through what he did on the cross 2,000 years ago. And so how we do it here at Rail City is the first row can go first. If you don't want to partake, it's okay. You can remain seated, okay? Then the second row, third row, fourth row, etc. I'll invite the ushers forward. I'll pray for this. Jesus, thank you for this moment of communion. Lord, I pray that as we come, To the table today, we will receive mercy and grace in our time of need and for our shortcomings. I pray that we will encounter you, Lord Jesus, in this time of worship and communion. Pray these things in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. If you've been listening to our sermons, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca slash railcity to find out more information about getting involved in the life and mission of the Rail City campus of CA Church.